So if you listen to a guy like Alex Hermosi, he's going to tell you that his favorite guy to listen to is Warren Buffett and his partner, Charlie Munger. And although those guys are awesome, don't get me wrong, they're incredibly smart. I think they don't do it for me, and they're kind of boring. You see, entrepreneurs are creators, and as creators, we like to start and we like to build things. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger have never built anything. They've just been investors their entire career. So today, we're talking about a guy that I aspire to, a guy that I admire in the way that he has built his businesses and his company. We're talking about a guy named Bill Gross. In this video, I'm going to give you 12 lessons that I learned from Bill Gross about how successful companies start up. It's going to teach you a lot more about yourself, and it's going to give you a lot more clarity about building your team. And if you stick with me to the end, I'm going to give you his number one lesson on what the difference is between those companies that successfully start up and those that fail. First off, who is Bill Gross? Well, he's not to be confused with this guy. Bill Gross, the famous bond trader of PIMCO who managed $270 billion. That's pretty impressive. But I'm talking about Bill T. Gross. Now, I could try to introduce him, but I think he probably does a better job of doing it himself. And um, in the years since we started IDLab in 1996, we started more than 100 companies, and we've had um, a wild ride and lots of lessons learned from doing that. Uh, of those 100 companies, we had more than 300 rounds of financing, so we've worked with many, many people in uh, raising money and learned a lot about that. We directly invested from Idealab uh, $870 million into the companies and helped the companies raise an additional more than $2.5 billion. And of them, uh, we had 35 successful IPOs and acquisitions. We have 25 operating companies right now, and we've had 40 failures. If you've been following this channel, we talk a lot about bootstrapping and self-funding your company. And it might seem like Bill Gross is kind of counterintuitive to everything that we preach on this channel. But truthfully, that's not why we're talking about Bill Gross today. You see, Bill Gross is unique in the sense that he started hundreds of companies. And he's had this ability to learn at an accelerated rate that none of us have, will ever have the chance of doing. See, Bill Gross ran a company called Idea Labs, and this was a startup incubator where they literally would launch company after company after company, and they would try to take these things public, sell them, or get them operational. And he had about a 60% success rate in starting these companies. And so I'm going to give you the 12 lessons that I've learned from listening to Bill Gross's content, reading his material, and listening to his talks about what makes successful startups go. Number one, be driven by passion and not by greed. And I feel like this is obvious, but a lot of people start their company for the wrong reasons. Often that's chasing money and dollar bills. There's gonna come a time when you're getting you know, pinned against the wall, frustrated, and not having a ton of success, and the money will not be there. And therefore, if money is your only motivator, you're gonna get burnt out. There couldn't be a more important time for having passion and knowing your why than when starting up a company. Number two, make the cash last longer than it probably should. That basically means pretend like every dollar that you have is going to be your last. That means be frugal. One of the challenges in the startup culture, especially in the world of technology, is people go raise a ton of money, they then spend that money like it's never going to end. And that works until it doesn't. But if you bootstrap your company or you self-fund and you pretend like you're never going to get another dollar, when you do actually go raise money, the people are going to look at how you've managed your funds up until this point and the fact that you've bootstrapped your company, and they're going to be more ready, willing, and excited to give you funds. Number three, hire A players. Now, this is hard when you're starting up because you don't have a lot of money, and you're probably thinking, well, how am I going to afford an A player? The answer is your investment in an A player is going to be 
10x return, especially when you compare that to hiring B and C players. B and C players will often take more of your time than actually give you more of your time back. And that's the whole point of hiring A players is because there's only one thing that scales inside of a company, and that's time. And you need people on a team in order to scale your time. This also goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. You need to fire people more quickly. Show the B and C players to the door and do not hesitate. Number four, mean what you say and say what you mean. And this basically means don't be overly optimistic and don't romanticize what's happening in the business. You have to be somewhat of a realist. Yes, it's important to have vision, but you have to be pragmatic in, hey, here's where we're at today. And you have to be idealistic in the vision of, hey, here's where we're going. But too much idealism and not enough pragmatism is a recipe for disaster. Number five, you got to move more quickly. There's a great quote from Bill Gross, and he says, a decision that is 80% good, but made swiftly is better than one that's 100% but you never get around to it. You see, often in entrepreneurship, we get stuck thinking about what our next decision is going to need to be instead of just actually doing it. And then as you do it, you learn and you iterate. The whole process of entrepreneurship is iterative. So make decisions more quickly. Number six, admit your mistakes openly and change your mind often. You need to hold your vision tightly, but your plans loosely. And it's okay to change your mind and openly admit that you've made a mistake because it will actually build more trust with your team and it will encourage everybody around you to think the same way. There's nothing wrong with failure. You're only a failure if you marry an idea and you burn it all the way to the ground. Which takes me to number seven, give credit where credit is due. Yes, as entrepreneurs, we have 10 great ideas a week. Nine of them are probably really bad. There's that one great idea and that a vision that the entire company is built on the back of. But truthfully, the people around you, the A players that you bring into your team are the ones that are driving the business forward. And so we have to give credit where credit is due. Nobody likes uh, an entrepreneur who takes credit for everything else or all the work that they do. You can maybe do that a couple times, but eventually it'll break the trust of your team. So build up the players around you, give them the platform, and you can get a lot more done when everything doesn't need to be your idea. Which takes me to number eight, surround yourself with people who know more than you do. If you're a part of any one of my companies, you often hear me say that I'm the dumbest guy in the room. I'm just really good at orchestrating people and putting them together. But when it comes to execution, when it becomes to being a producer of the certain aspects that make our business hum, I probably know the least out of everybody. I would consider myself to be a bit of a jack of all trades. I know enough about everything to be dangerous, but I wouldn't call myself a specialist in any one area or aspect of what we're doing. And that's because I hire people who are way smarter than me, I pay them well, and I let them lead the charge in that given area. All right, number nine. That means if you are bringing great A players who know more than you into your team, that's a great opportunity to incentivize them with equity. According to Bill Gross, when you share the equity liberally with the right A players, you build a stickier team and unit. And now you have everybody who's bought into the company because they feel like it's theirs. At the end of the day, we all desire to be a part of a bigger culture or a bigger tribe, right? And when we own a piece of something, we're going to be that much more committed to seeing it over the line. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he says, that it's the people on the team who decide and commit to being great that make a company awesome. It has nothing to do with the vision. It has nothing to do with being first to the market. It has nothing to do with having the most money. It ultimately comes down to the commitment 
of the people who decide that this is where they're going to spend their time and dedicate their life. And when they have equity in a company, they're just that much more encouraged to do that, which takes me to number 10. And we're going to spend a little bit more time going deep on these last three because as Bill Gross says, they're probably the most important. Number 10 is complementary skills. So in Bill Gross's world and in my world, there's really like four different key skills or personality traits of the people inside your organization that you need to be aware of. The first one is entrepreneurial type people. These are the people who come up with great ideas, they have great vision, they're good at building culture, they're good at sharing the vision, but they actually really suck at the execution because it bores them. And when you get bored and you burn out, you can't actually see the idea through. And there's a whole graveyard of great ideas that weren't executed. So execution is the only thing that matters, which is why you need personality type number two, which are producer types. Producer types are the people who are doing the selling, the people who are doing the marketing, the people who are building the software or servicing the customer. These people are incredible at executing. And so if you're a purebred entrepreneur, which probably most of you are watching this podcast and listen, or watching or listening to this podcast, then you need to find more complementary skills, which means you need to hire people. We've already talked about that. But that is the number one mistake or number one trapping that most entrepreneurs get caught in is they don't figure out how to hire people early and often, which takes me to personality trait C. So people can be really good at executing, but not be so great at actually developing the processes and the systems so that future people can execute on it. We have to have a specific way in which we act and operate. And those would be administrative type people. Uh, at certain points in your in your career, you're probably going to have to take off the entrepreneur hat and put on the administrator hat and try to document some of these processes and systems. But these administrator type people are crucial to scaling your human capital. How do you hire 100 people a year and make sure that they all think, act, and operate in the same way? By having a documented process and system. And administrative people are really, really good at doing that. Which then takes me to, to personality type number four. We're still talking about complementary skills, but this is the integrator type. Integrators are like conductors or orchestrators. They're really good at capturing the vision from the entrepreneur, orchestrating the producer type people, working with the administrative type people to orchestrate the business, bring the, the vision down to the ground and get it to scale across sales and marketing, operations, finance, human capital, HR. And here's a little clip from Bill Gross actually talking about this specific thing. He does a much better job of explaining it than I do. So when you start a company, you almost by definition, a company only starts with E. You can't start a company with A. You can't, an administrator can't start a company because they're just putting process in place. They wouldn't do anything. And the I, the I skill, wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, can't start a company because they just care about feelings and, and helping people work together. That doesn't get a company started. Uh, but the, the, the E gets the company started. But the E, uh, and sort of the classic story of an entrepreneur who doesn't know how to finish anything, uh, an E alone will start with a great idea, get it going, and then eventually flail and fail and, and burn out if it can't get anything done. Somehow the company, after it, uh, it started, it could be in month two, it could be in month 10, it could, but somewhere along the way, it's got to get the P skill in the company. Now, it can come from the E person if they have that skill, but it's got to get that because otherwise it won't make the product, it won't ship it, it won't answer the phone, it won't deal with customers. You have to get that skill in the company. And that usually is in getting a partner or a co-founder or someone else, a COO or someone else who has that other skill to make things happen and move things along. And you have to get that skill in the company. And then eventually, though, even with P, even if you start making products and start making sales, eventually that company will fail too once it starts growing because the wheels will fall off the bus. 
uh, uh, eventually phones will stop getting answered and uh, customers will start getting angry and support problems will happen and something will break and unless some administrative skill comes into the company, now the P person might have that too, the person you bring in who has that, um, or you, you might find it somewhere else, and, uh, but you've got to get that A into the company um, uh, because otherwise things will break. All right, let's jump to number 11. This takes me to iterate like crazy. Low-cost testing, fast testing, these are keys. And I'm, I'm going to play a clip. This isn't from Bill Gross, but it's talking specifically about first-time founders versus founders who've started a couple different companies. First-time founders build a business on a product. If the business plan is like, my product is amazing and the pen works and the pencil moves and when you do this, it erases, I can tell you right now, it's his first business. Because he genuinely thinks the quality of the product is going to win. Second-time founders build a business on distribution. You can have the best device, but if you can't get it into the hands of the customer, no one cares. Third-time founders will build a business on an ecosystem where they aggregate both the product and the distribution through their platforms. There's a movie out right now. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's about the story of BlackBerry. When iPhone came out and destroyed BlackBerry, BlackBerry was a superior device. The things we now use on our phones, like WhatsApp and Botum and Telegram, encrypted messaging, BlackBerry had that with Messenger 15 years ago. So to be clear, Steve Jobs introduced a product that technologically was not superior to the number one product in the marketplace. And he still destroyed them because he had an ecosystem on the Play Store and he had distribution with AT&T. So it didn't matter that Research in Motion had the best device. He had the two things that mattered. Now, at the very end of that video, he's talking about BlackBerry. And if you haven't seen the new docudrama of BlackBerry's story, then I highly recommend that you go and watch it. Let's cut the bull here. 2.5 million all in for the entire order. Yeah, no, can't do it, Jim. Then I'll decimate it for you. 1.6 million. And if you don't take that, I'll turn around and sell them to Rockwell for even less. How about this? We'll take the modems if you throw in the patent on Mike's phone. What phone? I thought we weren't bullshitting each other, Jim. We've been building our own for a year. We want money. How long to build a prototype of the phone? Uh, pocket link. Yeah, um, a year. No, no, no. A, a, a prototype, Mike. A shell I can wave around in a meeting. It could be a complete piece of shit. No, I can't. We're not doing that. No, we're... Mike's not doing that. L listen to me. U.S. Robotics is building their own phone. We are now in a race to get this thing to market, and we are a year behind. So I don't care what you need to do. Get these nerds to drop everything and build this fucking phone. What? Up until the point when Jim Balsley joined BlackBerry, the team was overly focused on creating a perfect product, and we already talked about that. A 100% idea that never gets executed is not nearly as good as an 80% fully formed idea that's executed quickly. And Jim Balsley gives them 12 hours to execute on the very first iteration of the BlackBerry. And under the pressure, under the gun, they literally build the most crude example of their product, and they take it to the market, and they actually love it. And so what Bill Gross talks about when he talks about iterating quickly on using low-cost testing is he says it doesn't even need to be a working product. It just needs to visually get the point across. Do that a ton before you decide to go deep on building your specific service, your specific product, or marrying yourself to a specific pricing scheme. Test, 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 iterate, iterate, iterate. That is the creativity of entrepreneurship. And finally, number 12, building a culture of innovation. 
you see, when you hire A players and you build a culture in which those A players feel like they can make mistakes, they can try new things, and they will not be punished for it, you're ultimately going to end up with a very innovative culture. Every Friday, Google used to have two to three hours that they would allow their entire engineering team to work on whatever they want. And out of those Fridays, two of their engineers ultimately created what we now know as Gmail, which is probably the most prolific email platform uh, on the planet used by everybody. And that's because Google created an environment where they allowed their team to flex their creativity, make mistakes on company time and company dollars without being punished for it. And if you can do that inside your organization, then the ideas will flow and everybody will be driving towards creating and innovating the product so that it's the best it's the best thing that can be delivered to the market, the best thing that can be delivered to your customer. All right, that's a wrap on the 12 steps, but I told you if you stuck around, I was gonna give you the number one tip that Bill Gross says makes startups successful above and beyond anything else. And I quote, the timing of when a startup is launched is the most crucial factor for its success. And when you're talking specifically about the timing of, of an innovative technology company, for example, maybe who's pioneering and forging a new territory, there is such a thing as being too early. And so timing is crucial to your ultimate success. Until next time, I'm Samson Jagoras. Get out there and get to work.